Welcome to the Producer Podcast. This is the show where we interview producers from around the world, and we ask them how they make their music, what they're doing in the studio, software, hardware. We get into their careers, see what's going on with any marketing advice they have, and the whole goal is to help you guys out there become better producers, better marketers, get your music out there, and get it heard. We always have an amazing producer on the show, and this show is absolutely no different. I'm really happy to have DJ M from Melbourne, Australia on the show today. Highly recommended from our previous guest, Splinter. We hear Mike is amazing. So uh, what's going on, Mike? Hey there. How you doing? I'm doing really good. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, mate. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for waking up for us. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the time shift between Australia and here gets pretty crazy sometimes. I'm in Tampa, Florida, so... Right, I can imagine. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and the kind of music you do. Yeah, sure. So, uh, my name is Mike. I'm uh, 27. Uh, for the last around sort of six or seven years, I've been producing uh, mainly hard dance and hard style music um, until the end of last year where I sort of took a bit of a change and decided to uh, try some stuff a little bit slower. So, I'm now back down to when 128 BPM doing um, mainly sort of a new style of music that's called Cult, which is uh, very big overseas at the moment and is also coming uh, down here to Australia. It's becoming, uh, yeah, quite well known now, actually. And, um, I mean, my, ro- my roots have always been sort of more in the house electro scene anyway. And now, for me, this is a great merger for me to be able to almost merge the two styles together with uh, 128 BPM with a lot of hard dance or hard style influence in it. Well, that so worked really, out for you, didn't it? Yeah. I guess you have to wait a while and then the genre you want will appear eventually. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's uh, it's a, one of the newest genres that only sort of started a couple of years ago and has only just become big, you know, even overseas just sort of in the last year or two and down, it's just sort of starting to merge down here now as well. So... And for me, it was just great to have uh, a new genre evolve that has enabled me to, you know, almost merge the two stars that I've always had a passion for. So it's, uh, yeah, I feel it's working very good for me because I think it's imp- important to, you know, uh, play, produce, and promote the music that you really love. And, um, you know, I think that's important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a must. That's it, yeah. How did you get started? Writing EDM or, you know, electronic music. Yeah, I, say sure. the, I say the term EDM and I, I know that outside of the US, some people don't like that term very much, but I, I kind of got a habit of saying it, so I'll try not to say it so much. How, what, oh, what, no, how, I don't mind it at all. I actually do prefer it because, I mean, for me, EDM means anything electronic based, so it can cover everything, you know, from sort of techno all the way up to hard dance. So um, we do, I do use the term a lot at my work as well. Um, as I work in the industry, so, but yeah, in terms of how I got started, it was actually quite a few years ago, I'll probably have a guess and say maybe 12 years ago or so, okay. I actually got started on some basic production software called uh, uh, Sony Acid, and I actually started on that just doing experimental stuff with music, so uh, a little bit of mashing up and a little bit of remix and, and stuff like that, and I actually formed a group with a couple of friends that was called Electro Rockers. Um, this was quite a while ago. Um, it still actually exists today. If you do a YouTube search of Electro Rockers, uh, sometimes with a Z and sometimes with an S on the end, you'll see there's still over a million hits at the moment, actually. So we did pretty well at the time. 
we sort of uh, went with the whole MySpace trend of uh, house electro type music with uh, your R&B and commercial type vocals over top and just making a lot of mashups and a lot of them went uh, went quite huge actually. So um, that for me was my first uh, little adventure and which, which went very well and taught me a lot about um, you know music in terms of structure and uh, remixing and all that sort of stuff. So that's pretty much how it started for me in terms of you know getting towards the production side of things. That's a great start. Mm, yeah, and so I'm pretty pretty um pretty happy about that and um you know it's just a a phase that um you know taught me a lot I guess and um yeah I mean in terms of DJing as well which is sort of what I live for um I've been DJing for uh 15 years now actually so I started when I was quite young just doing a little bit of uh parties and uh mobile work and then sort of had my mobile DJ business and then sort of as soon as I hit 17 I was uh straight into nightclubs and then sort of never looked back from there and huh. ever since I've been playing nightclubs and uh, more of the bigger events these days and stuff like that so yeah I couldn't ask for a you know a, a better um better way to get into it yeah man and you know as you're telling me your story I'm a little jealous of you to be honest it <laughs> sounds like a nice life <laughs> yeah I was pr- I'm pretty lucky to be able to actually work full-time in the industry as well so I work for a company called store DJ Okay. We're actually uh, one of the biggest sellers of uh, DJ and production equipment in Australia. So, um, yeah, quite an amazing store, actually. It's just absolutely booming at the moment. Um, it teaches you so much about product knowledge, about new software, hardware, instruments, pretty much everything. And, um, yeah, I've recently been appointed assistant manager, actually, so it's going really well for me at the moment. And wow. uh, it's funny that, yeah, these interviews come around at a good time because at the moment for me everything's going really well. So... It's good to be able to tell my story, I guess. That is amazing. I hope things keep getting better for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Is it a walk-in store or do you guys like yeah. uh, wholesale? It's, uh, it's a walk-in store uh, plus also an online store. So we probably do about 50-50. And yeah, it's just really going from strength to strength at the moment. We're getting close to having a store in each state of Australia and it's uh, constantly uh, growing. And yeah, there's lots of new staff coming along and... It's just, um, it's just started, you know, six to eight years ago as a record store, and now it's just such a powerful, um, powerful company, and it's amazing to work for. Yeah, uh, you know, I've seen some pictures on your Facebook, and I would love to hang out on that store for a day. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if this is actually in the store, but the picture I like the best is the weight bench with all the vinyl records serving as the weights on a on a bench press. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Is that actually in the store? No, no, I don't think so. I okay. think that might have been an older fo- photo possibly, but pretty okay. much our store is yeah, walking into a musician's paradise in terms of a whole section of analog synths, a section of PA, section of studio monitors, a section of Pioneer gear, DJ production, you know, everything you can imagine is squeezed into one um, reasonably small store actually. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's, it's quite fun and... Um, I think we do somewhere close to 3,000 products in our total inventory. So it's, uh, wow. but, um, it's really good to have um, guys that actually come to me, not only for advice, but in terms of you know, needing equipment and things like that um, is always something I can help out with. So, um, yeah, it's quite good. That's awesome. Sounds like a fun job. Yeah, it is quite amazing, actually. So I'm, I'm very, uh, I, I feel like I was very lucky to get it, and now it's, um, it's just a big part of my life. So I wouldn't really... Um, you know, I wouldn't really change anything, actually. Yeah, totally. I wouldn't either. 
Now, you <laughs> talked a little bit earlier about using Sony Acid as your first DAW. Um, yep. What do you use now? Uh, I actually use Ableton now. Um, I sort of find that it's, out of all of them, it's probably the most user-friendly um, and just, um, I mean, now that Ableton 9's come out, it's pretty much got everything. So for me, and in terms of what I sell as well, we find it's the highest seller these days down here for electronic music production. Um, I have used other ones as well before. I've used, um, uh, now I have a mind blank. Um, I have used... Uh, Sonar, Bitwig, Fruity Loops, uh, FL Star, Logic. Cubase. Logic? Yes, I have used Logic before to make one of my first tracks, and I did really like it. I did find it a little bit more time-consuming, uh, more so, and once I really got into Ableton, there was sort of no turning back. No Bitwig, huh? No, look, we, I, I do sell it at work, so I know a little bit about it. Um, I know it's very similar to Ableton in a lot of ways, but the, it's got a lot of advanced uh, MIDI functions and whatnot. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't, honestly, to be honest, there's a couple of guys at my work that have tried it and really like it, but myself, I haven't quite found the time to just learn a whole new DAW. No. I'd rather sort of persist with what I've got and stay happy with that. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it is huge. Even if, it's, even if Bitwig is very similar to Ableton, to just learn all the little differences, it's going to take a long, it's going to take months for somebody who's already grooved into one DAW. Um, yeah. I'm a freak because I like to just use them all. And I don't know why lately this past month I have this strange, strong affinity for sonar. I think just because no one uses it for, for making electronic music that uh, I've been yeah, just fair using. Yeah, Yeah, I've just been using it every day and uh, they're all good. They're all interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, look, we actually sell most of the major DAWs at work. So in terms of Ableton Pro Tools, Logic, Cubase, uh, sorry, not Logic, actually, uh, Ableton Pro Tools, Cubase, uh, Sonar, Studio One. So we've had a little bit of experience with them, but we still find Ableton's our highest seller down yeah. here anyway. Because obviously in Melbourne, there's a lot of guys doing electronic with the Melbourne Bounce and EDM scene down here right. is very, um, you know, right. dominant at the moment. Well, I got to, you know, give a shout out to Studio One because that's my main doll. But uh, yeah, I did hear that in the last interview, actually. Oh, uh, yeah, it's I find it. I love it. But all right, enough about dolls. Let's get okay. in. Well, this is still kind of about dolls. But tell us about some of your favorite production tips, things you like to do in Ableton that you think are like super badass. Yeah, sure. I mean, in terms of a production tip, I find that I do say to a lot of guys when I'm teaching them and giving them advice as well that. I really feel that, you know, when making a track, it's a lot of time, it's about, uh, it's almost, I consider it as a balancing act. So you've got, you know, anywhere between 10 and 50 sounds, most of which need to work all at the same time. So finding that even balance so that all of the single tracks can coexist with each other in their, in, in their own space will really make your production stand out and give it, you know, you won't get any of that muddiness and it'll sort of become nice and clean and clear and just sort of taking pride in the way it all balances out is um, probably a nice production tip that I do tell a lot of people in terms of when they start making music. Sure thing. And that's that's something that actually takes discipline because you have a beautiful sound, right? And you put it, put it into your mix and you think that it's going to be beautiful in your mix. And then you find out after it's in there that you have to strip sometimes most of it away to get it to sound right. It's kind of like yep. counterintuitive. And some people might think they're ruining the sound, but it actually... Is the opposite of that. That's correct, yeah. At, at the end of the day, it's all what it sounds like in the mix, not right. by itself, um, if it's coexisting with other, with other sounds. So 
if you can find that balance act right, you can actually keep the sound how you originally had it. But in terms of getting it right, yeah. is a bit of a balancing act. Yes, I agree. Great tip. Any other killer production tips you got? Um, off the top of my head, I guess um, learning how to use um, plugins properly or effects, even if it's even if we're just talking about the standard effects. This is one thing I go into depth in terms of. If you if you find that you're needing to use a lot of third party instruments and you cannot get the most out of instruments inside your original DAW, then you may possibly just not know how to use them properly. So I sort of recommend to people make sure you try your hardest and and do a lot of practicing of using the original plugins inside DAWs because there's some quite amazing results you can get by using nothing but what's standard in there as long as you know how to use it properly. I agree with you. I mean, you could take even the lower end programs, like you could take Ableton Lite, you could take Sonar Essential, you could take Cubase Elements. And if you can't make a full album with even that, then there's a problem and it's not the software. So Yeah, that's correct. Another example I used to tell people was, um, you know, when I was younger, I used Sony Acid, which is a program you could even get for free if you know how to find things. I was mentioning, yeah, I could even have used uh, Sony Acid to make two remixes that were played, you know, on the national radio down here right. a few years ago. So, um, you know, just as an example, I guess if you get the combination right, then, you know, your music will really be successful and you don't have to well, spend tens and tens of thousands of dollars to get a crazy studio just to get the right sound. Definitely. Now, but I am a little curious, why the stock plugins, if maybe another plugin will sound a little better, just so they could learn how to use it? Or do you think that the, the stock plugins are more CPU efficient for that doll? Or, or why do you say stock plugins? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I do agree that there are some other plugins that will give amazing results, but I guess more of a, of a concept of learning to walk before you run. So gotcha. I almost like to provide myself with challenges in terms of, okay, here's my DAW. These are my original um, you know, factory plugins. How good of a sound can I make or manipulate with these factory plugins before I go to towards you know using anything third party to actually go that step further? Absolutely. And I do, I, I do um, honestly think that some of the factory um, effects and plugins inside the original Ableton can give you amazing results if you know how to use them properly. Yeah, I'm with you. We should definitely hang out, man. We think alike. <laughs> but I also agree with there are some plugins out there that will really give you sounds and, and ability to manipulate sounds more so than you know what you find inside DAWs. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, it's you definitely have that like little extra with some with some like third party plugins. You get the little extra that you're missing from the stock. But I'm with you as far as learn the stock as much as you can, and you you could definitely get amazing results. Yeah, I mean, I find that even now inside my productions, I'm still using. Uh, 75% of the factory plugins in Ableton, you know, yeah. uh, when I say plugins, I sort of should more say effects, um, you know, right. more so than anything else, yeah, than external effects. I mean, I still do use them, of course, but more so, uh, you know, l let's see how well I can get with these factory plugins to prove. So when I'm teaching people, I can say, okay, you've got Ableton, you've got all pretty much the tools to make some absolutely amazing stuff and don't feel like you have to buy lots and lots of other things. You know, maybe learn how to use what you've got as well as you can first off. 
Definitely. I'm with you. Well, then you're going to have to tear computer music and future music out of their hands every time they, they read it then. Because, yeah, that's good. <laughs> because it's all about the new stuff. And, mm. it, you know, at all the new plugins, it makes the whole field and the whole industry fun to be in at least because there's always something new coming out. But, yeah. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think about soft synths? What's your favorite soft synth? It's a good question. I actually don't have a favorite, but I'd probably have to say a mixture of Massive and Silent. But also recently I've been getting right into Razor, which is a new one part of the Native Instruments Complete Collection. Mm-hmm. And I find that Razor in particular, not only the presets are quite, you know, futuristic, I guess, but they're also there's a few uh, parameters of... Um, filtering and resonance that give me sounds that, or, or effects in my sounds that I haven't actually heard before in terms of the way they are able to manipulate these um, these particular parameters. And uh, in my latest track, which is called Return of the Classics, I've, been mani- I've managed to get um, some pretty crazy stuff going on just before the main drop by using these particular parameters in this Razor plugin. So I'm a big fan of that as well as, um, you know, the Massive and Silent and um, FM8 as well. Wow. I got to try Razor. That's one I haven't tried yet, but have heard a lot about. Um, have yeah, you tried did, Have you tried Spire yet? No, I did hear you talk about the, uh, that in the last interview, but um, unfortunately for me, sometimes time is of the essence and I just don't have time to explore a lot of um, yeah. new plugins and uh, concepts, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> now, if you could give advice to a producer out there where to go and learn how to improve their EDM skills and their production skills, uh, where would you send them? It's a good question. Um, there's a few schools down here that do quite well in terms of uh, teaching those sorts of things, but I also believe in, you know, the, sometimes the fastest way to learn things for some people is to just do it yourself. Um, but also, I guess, um, another concept I have is the best way to get good at something is to work with someone that's better than you because you'll always be pushing to be as good as they can, as good as they are, I guess. Mm, that's great. That's great advice. Um, yeah, I guess it's it's tricky for me. I mean, I've always been sort of self-taught, but also because I've been in the, in the industry for a, while, for a while, it's sort of really helped me, I guess. Sure. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have somebody better than you kind of like in your vicinity, you know, there's tons of like tutorials you could watch online where you go, wow, how did he do that? And um, mm. Plus, you're right. If you experiment on your own, you're going to have your own signature sound. So you got to do a little bit of both. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of guys that are really trying to create a sound that that is, you know, particular to them. Even if it's not a sound that's going to make them, you know, number one, but it, you know, points for originality these days in production is what I feel is really going to give them that little bit of an edge. I agree. It will. I think it will give an edge, and maybe they won't be number one today, but because they were original today, they'll be number one tomorrow, or next month. Well, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Who are your influences in this kind of music? Who do you really like and uh, who got you into this kind of music? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess uh, in terms of influence for me, I've never had any in particular. It was always a sort of group of artists, I guess. Um, back when I was doing, you know, of the harder sort of styles, it was just um, a lot of guys that were, that were producing the music that I uh, was trying to make and I was influencing from them a fair bit. Um, artists like... Um, you know, Kid Chaos, Scott Project, and things like that um, were influences for me when I was doing the harder stuff. Whereas now, with this cult music, I'm heavily influenced by a lot of the uh, Subground artists. So, Subground is the um, the label in Italy where that pretty much invented the cult sound, and um, 
a lot of those guys have got some amazing sounds. So I'm influencing from them a little bit. Plus, as well as a lot of the new EDM that's coming out as well, I find is that really sort of harder electro sound. So for me, I'm almost influencing from both of them and trying to almost fuse them together hmm. um, because of I've always liked the EDM sort of harder electro sound along with this new sort of deeper subground sound. And I guess, yeah, that's probably the influence for me at the moment, just a mixture of those two. Right. That's very cool. Hmm. Now, what would you say is the highlight of your music career thus far? It's a good question, I guess. Um, I ask a lot of good questions. Yeah, you do. Actually. <laughs> just no, I'm just kidding. I'm really not that arrigant. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. um, I, I guess um, I did a track a couple of years ago called Static, and I feel that although the production of this wasn't as good as my production now, it was sort of slightly more bassy production, but I really feel like I got the combination right in terms of the sound and the exact sort of style that this track falls under. And um has become fairly well known, has been played everywhere around the world as well as being smashed a lot down here in Melbourne, which is really great to see. A lot of almost every hard dance club I walked into, I sort of heard it. So it was very, I guess it was, you know, I was proud to, to be able to make a track and have it loved by so many. It has made it onto three compilations. So I'm very, very happy with the way that's gone. Although I know uh, personally that the production wasn't unbelievably detailed. I just, at the time, I just got the combination right, I guess. Yeah. No, it's what you just said there. That happens with most hits. I mean, most of the guys I've talked to, they're like, you know, this wasn't the, I made this song in two hours kind of thing, and that's the one that's the biggest hit. Um, yeah, I wish I could make one in two hours. For me, it's <laughs> like two weeks or a yeah. month, but yeah. I guess it's another thing about time. Um, the other track I'd probably have to say that I'm definitely proud of is my the, one of the newest ones I've got out, which is called Return of the Classics. And for me, it was definitely a fusion of genres, which I found I got the combination right, plus, I guess, pushing how far I can get um, some really nice quality. And I did um, I did get some really good feedback from some artists that have been in the, in the industry for a while saying this track is absolutely amazing, but they also finally commented on the actual fact that I left some headroom in the track. It was actually really nice to have that notice because um, I'm actually doing, I'm actually a, a mastering engineer as well. So I do a lot of mastering these days as well for other artists and labels. And to have that actually notice was actually quite, um, quite great. And um, yeah, the track's uh, been going really well for me as well. Who noticed that? I'm curious. Um, yep. A gentleman down here named, uh, his name is Ben, but he's uh, known as the engineer uh, as an artist and yeah, he's, um, he's been in the industry for quite a long time, actually. He was one of the people I used to watch play when I was um, coming into the scene and stuff like that as well. And he's, um, he knows a lot about a lot. He's very into, yeah. in, into his analog synths and whatnot. So, um, yeah, he's a, he's a good guy as well. And, um, you know, there's been a few other people that have really commented on this track and said, hey, you know, um, this is amazing. This is what this sort of music should sound like in Australia sort of thing. Wow. And it's just certain compliments that make you think, wow, this is great to have. I spent 25 hours making the track, so it was really good to have it pay off, I guess. Wow. Well done. And the reason I ask that is I give a little extra respect to the person who compliments the headroom of a song. You know what I mean? It's Yeah, because it's not something people even understand these days with the, the way that a lot of stuff is mastered. You right, know? right. Um, so I sort of, I mean, personally with mastering for me it's the thing where I'll always try and find the balance between giving some headroom but also making the track quite loud because that's what the artist is expecting 
Exactly. Mm. So again, I, again, it comes down to that balance. I guess I was talking about before. Yeah, um, the to, balance all the way around from mixing to mastering, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's interesting that you're a mastering engineer. How long have you been doing that? Um, probably about two years now. It's been going really well for me. I've got a website that's about to launch in a few weeks, which is uh, baseempire.com.au. So, um, yeah, I'm currently working with a few artists and labels, um, both in the country and overseas as well. So it's it's going really well for me. It sort of started as a, pro- a side project. Um, and once I found that uh, Marcy myself, I was getting the same results as the guys I was sending it to. Hmm. Um, so now I'm sort of doing that, um, not full time, but I guess it's something I'm definitely going to be look at doing uh, a lot more in the near future. That's amazing. Um, mastering has this reputation of being a black art, and you know, for somebody to do that and you know be able to charge money and make a profession of it is is very cool. I mean. Tell us a little bit about mastering. What kind of software do you use to, to do it? Uh, that's a good question, actually. Um, so I've uh, I found that um, through my work as well, we sell uh, universal audio products, so both the hardware and the software. Mm-hmm. And um, a while ago, I got my hands, uh, after saving up, I got my hands on a UAD quad-core processor. So what it is is mm-hmm. it's a plugins processor, which takes all the processing away from your computer that is owned by Universal Audio or UAD and runs only UAD plugins. And I found that they're absolutely amazing. Um, through my work, I'm lucky enough to be able to actually work with the suppliers so that I actually have every UAD plugin that was made, around oh, about 60 of them. You do. And, and it just changed my life, honestly. Once I started using it, everything, everything changed and I'm using them all the time now, both inside production and for mastering as well and um yeah it's getting some ama- quite amazing results and what about you what about use the stock plugins of the doll what happened to that yeah yeah that's uh 75 <laughs> percent of the of the stuff and then a little bit of uad and okay. a little bit of other stuff but in the mastering chain separately afterwards it's um very much uh uad i see so it's mainly uad in the mastering that's correct very yeah, for cool me anyway. yeah I could see that. Um, I have not been yeah. fortunate enough to test out UAD plugins myself, but I always hear they're just incredible. They are. I mean, this is a chat I've had to some people about it because I do sell it in terms of people can say it's great, it's great, but when you actually get it, then you finally understand and <laughs> you just, you're, um, it's just unbelievable, it really is. Um, the amount of things that you can do, the, the developers say it's 99.8% accurate to the actual hardware as well. Wow. Um, so analog warmth, you know, stereo imaging, uh, multiband dynamics, compressors, you know, all that sort of stuff is just absolutely amazing. I find. Wow, very cool. Um, yeah, so that that for me recently has allowed me to get a bit of an edge in terms of my productions with a little bit of warmth and a bit of stereo imaging, as well as the rest of just yeah stock plugins, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. That company is just going to take over the world. I mean, they're unstoppable right now. With the, with the Apollo and the stuff they're doing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the Apollo interfaces is something else that I, I do know a little bit about, um, you know, having to sell them, of course. But as I'm actually on PC and not Mac, which is surprising to some, um, yeah, I use the, um, the uh, PCI card instead of the Apollo. So ah. I basically run with the Apollo cards. They're, they are a, a, a plugins processor as well as a sound card. Whereas for me, running PC, I don't use Firewire or Thunderbolt, so I've actually got 
an RME interface. So I use an RME interface with a UAD quad core uh, for the plugins, and I find it's an amazing combination. Oh yeah, that's an amazing setup. I'm on mm. PC too myself. I think oh, yeah? yeah, I think what I got on it about three or four years ago. I think what happened. I can't fully remember or know if this is the case. I was afraid with all the the iPads and iPhones coming out and iOS becoming so popular. I was afraid Apple was going to leave professionals in the dust because that's not where they're. They were making the most of their money a couple years ago. They were selling iPads to consumers like crazy. We, we, we didn't know if Logic was ever going to be updated again. Um, so it was. I, got, I think I got scared that they were going to dumb it down too much and make it too simple. So um, I went to PC and, uh, you know, I definitely have my share of complications with just Windows in general. But I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy on PC these days, I have to say. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's a quit. It's a, it's something I talk about a lot at work as well. Guys always asking, "What should I do? Is it Mac or is it PC?" And I guess my answer to them is, generally speaking, Macs are quite stable for music technology. Um, besides, I guess the new Maverick software is still finding its uh, way through. But in terms of PC, if you can build one right and have a good antivirus, then you shouldn't have many problems. But it all comes down to the individual and what they're going to be running and their combination of. Uh, you know how they make up their PC as well is also important. Right, right, definitely. I mean, there's there's almost no right answer to that. But the way you what you just said is the closest to, there could be to an absolute. Now, what was the uh, best? Yeah. yeah, what was the best gig you've ever played? Oh, good question. I guess there's a couple that stand out to me. Um, definitely playing uh, at the stage at DefCon One. Last year was one of the biggest uh, achievements for me so far, and I am on the stage uh, playing this year as well, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, Congratulations. I do, I do remember uh, PhD's 10th birthday down here in Melbourne at the Hi-Fi Bar. That was quite amazing, um, playing while there was CO2 canisters and confetti bombs going <laughs> off and oh, um, about 1,000 people or something. That was quite amazing. Wow. Um, did a couple of events in Sydney that were at the Metro Theatre, which was packed out as well, and that was quite fun. But to me, I honestly, these days, I mean, I'm not really, I'm not looking to be like a rock star or anything like that. Like, I'm, I'm happy playing um, the gigs I play down in Melbourne, which are just to, you know, anywhere sort of around a couple of hundred people and just... You know, I've always been, I've always lived and loved Melbourne in terms of knowing a lot of the crowd down here and I get right. a lot of support and stuff. So for me, it's almost like I love these close family gigs where I get a lot of support and, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a huge, um, huge venue with a huge crowd, but it's just people that appreciate what I play and I love making music and playing music for them. Oh, that's amazing. Very cool stuff. It sounds like yeah, you're doing, so it, really doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. So, what's the best advice you could give to an aspiring producer right now? Okay, so, uh, good question. Um, I'd probably say that um, I think it's important for a up-and-coming artist to have an idea of something they want to make and I guess finding that way to come into the market with something that of, of a genre that's you know doing well but really in uh, the best advice would be to really make it your own so find a way to you know um, find a good combination of sounds or a way to make your music that makes it slightly left field from exactly what the other sound the other tracks are like you know it's good to aspire to genres and to artists and things like that but I guess 
originality um, with a combination of it being in a genre that a lot of people like, I think would be probably a good idea. Yeah. Um, and just the other thing would be advice, I guess, is don't try and rush things too fast. I work with, I've worked with a lot of guys that have sort of tried to push a lot of tracks out before they got to the stage where their tracks were really, really down pat, I guess. And it's one of those things where if some people, if they hear an artist and their tracks, oh, yeah, it's okay, but it sounds a little bit like it, could, it needs more work, the next time you bring out a track, they may not, they may skip past you if they're looking in a list of artists, I guess. Whereas if you were to wait that extra bit longer, even if it's a year or however long it takes some people, you know, to get one track out that sounds absolutely, you know, really, really good, even if it's not exactly what people are after, then they'll remember your artist name. And if they come across your artist name again, if they're looking through tracks or if it's SoundCloud or, um, you know, um, an online website, you know, um, if they see your artist name and they remember that the first track you came out with, you know, really either had that edge or it was very, very well done, then, you know, they're going to stop at your name and they're going to listen to that second track that you brought out sort of thing. Wow. That's amazing um, advice. Yeah. I just, I, I, I just, I see it a lot where guys are trying to push out tracks before they're quite at that stage. And really for those couple of guys that have a lot of patience that will bring out a track that's really, really got, you know, everything that it needs to have to make a good track, then they've got a lot, uh, chance of, a lot better chance of being, you know, uh, I guess successful in the industry. Right. Yeah. They, you, you don't want to blow it. You don't want to smear your name. Um, that's great advice. Really, mm, it could it could make yeah it could make or break somebody's career. So that's that's right. Yeah, and I, I mean there are a lot of guys out there that that have put tracks out that are a little bit average, and then they've got better and better. Um, so it, it can work for some people, of course, because you can actually hear in the tracks how they've grown as a producer. And these are even huge artists, you know, uh, even artists like Showtech. I mean, I used to I played with them before back when they used to do you know a harder sort of style of music and listen to their older stuff which i used to collect many years ago till now you know you can see how they've grown how their their genre and style i guess that they make has evolved hmm. you know um so you know there is of course there's always going to be room to grow but i guess you know um don't feel like you have to um i guess get a track released and signed to a label you know as soon as possible or else you're going to feel like you're going nowhere you know it's better to spend as much time, you know, get some advice off, off uh, other artists or whatever, you know, send them the track, say, what do you think, you know. Um, you really have to know that you've that you, uh, got a track that's worthy of, of a lot of people, you know, liking, I guess. It doesn't have to be perfect. There's always going to be room to grow. But if you, um, if you spend that a little bit of extra time and get it right, then I think your chances are going to be a lot better of having your name, you know, as you said, I guess you don't want to smear the name, you know. Right. I agree with you. Anybody listening to this, listen to Mike. He knows what he's talking about here. <laughs> well, man, it's been really, really great having you on. You gave some incredible information, and it's, it's definitely going to help a lot of people. Not a problem, mate. I'm glad to be of, uh, of a service, and it's, it's good to be able to, I guess, um, tell my story. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a person that's ever tried to promote the hell out of myself. Yeah. I'm not huge uh, in terms of, um, you know telling everyone my whole story and things like that. So it's good to be able to finally, I guess, tell a lot of interesting information that people might not know about me, I guess. I mean, there are some people out there that might have heard some tracks or there's other people that 
know me from my work that have no idea that I even make music. So <laughs> it's good to sort of jumble it all together, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it's great if you know the history of the artist you listen to. It kind of makes the full picture and it's, you know, it's, it's, a good, it's a good way to be. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I do appreciate it. Sure. But, uh, Before you go, tell us where people can find out more about you, listen to your music. And, you know, if you want to plug anything, go for it. Yeah, sure. I do have a, yeah, most of my stuff is on my SoundCloud account, although there's still stuff that hasn't been put up yet, still going through the signing stages and whatnot. Um, again, my website will be coming out very soon, which is bassempire.com.au, which is purely for mastering. So any guys that are making tracks that really want to, um, you know, get those tracks sort of cleaned up before they want to, you know, push it towards some labels or anything like that, um, I definitely can help you out because I do a lot of... Um, you know, engineering as well as mastering for a lot of guys. Um, and yeah, any questions, I guess, let me know. You can find me on Facebook pretty easy under Mike DJM. And um, yeah, once again, uh, you know, thanks for having me on. And um, yeah. Absolutely, Mike. And anybody who's listening, you know, all the links that Mike said, we're going to put them in the show notes. Um, we have a fellow named Sean Hannigan does the show notes for the show, doing an excellent job. So thank you, Sean. Uh, you could find, you know, any all the links to uh, Mike's, sites and what we were discussing at theproducer.club. That's our main website. We also have a SoundCloud link at soundcloud.com slash theproducerpodcast. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. I know I did, and I enjoyed talking to Mike. That's going to be it for the Producer Podcast for today. See you next time.